nine attributes of God. Uh, somebody said, is that all? I said, well, that's at least <laughs> nine attributes. Now, there's a lot that I have to say about this. I'm not going to try to say it all tonight. This is, I've already got three lessons just on sovereignty. And uh, <clears throat> understanding God is the most important thing in our lives, knowing Him, knowing God. And Satan has tried to thwart that ever since his existence. He's tried to denigrate God and paint a different picture than he really is. And I have to say, through searching history, history and uh, historical records, uh, he's been quite, uh, quite a good uh, doer of that. Satan has been, has, has, he's, a, he's a military genius, and he knows where to hit us. But I must say, after the pronouncement of God uh, in the Garden of Eden, he is limited to the dust of the earth. And guess where we came from? So he is limited to our flesh. He, he's barred from our spirit, but he's, he's limited to our flesh. However, he makes optimum use of that. He knows humanity. He's been around long enough. He's watched us, and he knows exactly how to get to us. In fact, of course, we're not going to go there very much tonight, but at some point, we want to look at how this thing got started. Uh, and, and he actually knew that the same thing that caused him to fall would be the thing that caused Adam to fall. And he uses the virtually the same tactics today. Now, the list, if I had my whiteboard ready and hadn't messed it up today, I would have these written, but uh, the nine attributes of God is sovereignty, judgment, righteous, righteousness, immutable, love, eternal life, omnipotence, omnipresent, and omniscient. And we're going to try to look at all of those. I, I, I would be... Uh, uh, not telling the truth if I said this was going to be exhaustive. I cannot. There's too much to say. Uh, and I've already been guilty of doing people studying for them a long time in my life. But there's quite a few books out there and some good reputable men of God that have addressed some of these issues. And, and I would recommend you get some of that. But uh, the definition that the dictionary has about sovereignty. Of course, let me say this about sovereignty. All of these attributes it, it comes under the heading of sovereignty. God is sovereignly judgment. He is sovereignly righteous. He is sovereignly immutable. He is sovereignly love. He is in so, he's sovereignly eternal life. He's sovereignly omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. He's sovereignly all those things. So that's kind of why we're, we're taking a lot of time with this one rather than the other, uh, the other eight of them. But the dictionary says that sovereignty uh, is supreme power, especially over a body politic, a ruler over people. Uh, number two, freedom from external control uh, or autonomy. The autonomy is the quality or state of being self-governing. And you can say that God is that way, you know. Uh, but, but one thing you have to realize if you're a Bible student 
If you're a real Bible student, you know that sovereignty, the word sovereignty, is not in the Bible. Anywhere. Not to say that God's not sovereign. I mean, He is. We know that. I mean, my Lord. He is sovereign. But now, let's, let's go back. The first sovereign act of God concerning human beings. Of course, the first, I guess, was the creation of the universe uh, as a sovereign God. Of course, we don't know how long ago that's been. We don't know how many times it's been. I mean, he's always been. So uh, this time around, we have a universe to look at. But the first uh, act of the sovereignty of God concerning human beings is to give mankind the ability to determine and choose his own destiny. Now, at some point during this lesson, it's probably going to be more on lesson three about this, we're going to look at Gnosticism and where uh, Valentine uh, uh, Calvinism really got its roots and got started. Uh, it, uh, Gnosticism has been around a long, long time. As I said, we're going to get into that. You've got the Gnosticism uh, of, the, uh, of the Jews and of the Egyptians and the Essenes and all those. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on a lot of that. But uh, uh, we have to realize that, that these concepts about God uh, were infiltrated by the enemy and because he knew the outcome. He knew he started something and knew where it would end up. So he had a, he had a plan. And a good military officer knows this. He knows that kind of strategy where that if you do something here, then later on down the road, uh, this, this will be the effect of it. It's, it's quite a shame that Christians haven't been wise concerning their life and concerning the things of, uh, you know, of our lives. Uh, but Jesus himself said to be wise as what? A serpent, but harmless as a dove. And you know, the thing about being wise as a serpent, I always thought it was kind of odd that he said that till I really got looking at what a serpent does. You know, a serpent doesn't give up on its prey. And Jesus wants us to be that wise. Don't give up on people. Don't give up, you know, because he's not going to... I mean, here, think about this. This snake, which all he is is a tail with a mouth. That's all, that's all a snake. And he catches birds that fly. Why? Because he's subtle. He knows how to catch his prey. And so the same way uh, that, God, that Jesus is telling us to be, that's the way the devil is. He knows how to get to us. There are certain uh, idiosyncrasies that I have, that you have, that are not the same. But he has, I think, I'm not... You know, I'm not uh, demon hunting all the time or anything, but, but I think possibly he has certain entities that, uh, that are assigned to us and gets to know us and tries to lure us away certain ways. He, what could lure me away possibly would no way lure you, see. Uh, I mean, because I have participated in smoking marijuana, that is a lure for me. But uh, my wife never has, so that's... That's nothing. That's just ridiculous. See? So the enemy knows that kind of thing. It doesn't mean, you know, that I'm going to give in to it, but it's just there. Just there. And so this, this uh, 
this act of kindness that Jesus did, I mean, this cost heaven dearly to give his man the freedom of choice. Did you know the devil knew that? The devil knew that mankind had a choice. Now, it's my position, and you don't have... I'm going to say a lot of things probably in this course that is not going to be traditional. I'm not a traditional person. I try to approach the Word of God in a new and newness every time I approach it because I don't want it to cloud because you said I'll get into talking about how a belief is formed a little later, but I don't want my, my prior beliefs about something to hinder me from advancing in God's kingdom because it will. I mean, the things that I'm saying right now, your, your heart is filtering it through what you've already heard. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How do we receive from God? How do we? How, how do? How do you think we receive from God? Huh? How? If you're asking for something, how do you receive it? By asking. By asking. By faith. Most people respond to that as in faith. They say, well, we, by grace, you know, we receive. But, but if you'll take a closer look at those passages, you'll see that we receive by hearing. By hearing, it comes. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. So you see, it's what we've heard in the past that gets in the way a lot of times of our uh, adaption, adaptation uh, to the Word of God. Because if he wants to say something new to us that is contrary to what I've already put in my heart about it, then possibly it will throw up a screen and say, no, we, we can't receive that. See, And so just to put that in uh, your, your heart there a little bit before, before we go further in this, because as I said, I'm going to say a lot of things that are not traditional, especially about sovereignty. Uh, the, sovereignty the sovereignty teaching got really, really strong uh, about the 15th century, uh, and of course it was it was before then, but it really got uh, uh, it became canonized. Guess what else happened about the 15th century? We had the translation of the King James Version, see? and a lot of other uh, translations came before and and after that. But it's interesting to me when you begin to recognize how that the translators sometimes missed it. Most of those boys were not filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was not their teacher. And they were just good scholars of Hebrew and Greek. And they came up with the best thing that they could. And of course the Holy Spirit has uh, watched over that. And I think they've done a pretty good job for the most part. But uh, if you'll read Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 30 and verse 19, I want you to look what God said to these people, which he in turn says to us, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. He said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live forever. That may live, actually, what I said. May live. Now, God has set this before people. He had to. Now here's something I'm going to say to you, and I don't want you to reject it because it goes against what we've heard all of our lives. 
because a lot of these things that I'm saying to you are premeditated. I have meditated these things out in, in praying in other tongues, which, you know, tongues is a revelation gift, and the Holy Spirit has, has revealed things to me that I could not receive any other way. Did you know that I personally, as a teacher and a, and a preacher, I cannot give you revelation knowledge. I can give you my revelation, and you can say that, but only the Holy Spirit can give you the revelation. And the mechanism that God has chosen to give us divine illumination is this language of tongues. And by doing that, scriptures come alive. My wife and I, how long has this been? Probably a year. We were, sit, we were laying in the bed. We usually try to pray, you know, especially if something comes on us, you know, we'll, we'll just start interceding and praying, whatever. And uh, we had got through, and she had already put her ear things in, I think, because she sleeps with ear to keep from hearing me breathe. <laughs> but uh, I was laying there about to go to sleep, and the Holy Spirit said something I've never heard anybody say. No preacher anywhere has ever said what the Holy Spirit said to me at that point about Adam. And it was just like, it was a question. It was very simple. He said, did you ever realize that Satan didn't speak to Adam? Now, he didn't say, he said, did you ever realize Adam, that Satan didn't talk to Adam? And boy, that just, that shocked me. And uh, I mean, I had to, you know, you talk about getting you to think it. Because that's what I always thought. I always thought, yeah, he had a conversation with him, and you know, talk. But it, but the Bible says that Adam was not deceived, didn't it? Eve was deceived, and so I studied that. Studied that. I called a friend of mine up in Tacoma, Washington, Jan Butler. He's a he's a great man of God, and I I said, Jan, this is what God. This is what the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, Wow, Jerry, I've never seen that, but he said it fits. It bears witness. And so I got to studying that, and of course there's going to more be coming, I'm sure, about that. But I got to thinking about that, 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 the, that the enemy, when you have a word from God, I don't care what it is. If it, if it, now Adam had a word from God about the tree, didn't he? I mean, verbally. God said, do not. Eat of this tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. It's muth muth in the Hebrew. It's uh, two deaths. Which means that he's of course going to die spiritually. He's going to die physically. A lot of people believe that he died spiritually then. I don't. I think it took uh, several uh, years. By the sixth chapter he had uh, lost his spiritual identity. But I got to thinking about that. That yeah, uh, Adam had a word from God, but Eve had a word from Adam. And so she is the one that was not in the know as far as Adam was, and so he snuck in the back door and told that woman this, these lies about God. Hath God said? He, see, he painted a picture to her about and questioned God, what God said. Because Adam told her what God said. But it wasn't a personal word. It was to her. And so what the enemy does, he comes to the person that is closest to you 
and uses them sometimes to speak to you. And, and Adam full well knew what was happening and he partook of the fruit because his wife wanted him to. So, it cost heaven a lot to give man free choice. I personally don't believe that God planted the tree of good and evil, the knowledge. I don't believe God put it there. I believe the enemy did. You see, a tree is a manufacturing system. Any kind of tree. An oak tree manufactures acorns. Apple trees manufacture apples. And so the tree of life manufactures life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil manufactures a different way. Another kind. See, And so that's why, he, that's why God, God knew about it. God knew it was there. He just simply said, Adam, you can't, you can't eat that. Don't, do not eat that. And we're going to get into more of that a little later probably, but I don't want to take up my time with that. Uh, tr true love for God is out of a pure choice with no ulterior motives. You know, a lot of people, you'll say, well, you know, he loves God. No, no, no. I mean, I, I was in my office in 19, I forget now whether it was 1990 or 91. It was May, though. And I had been studying about... Uh, self-worth and those kind of issues and, and learning about the love of God. And all of a sudden in my office, the Lord said, Jerry, you do not love me. And it just really messed with my mind. I mean, in a way, it was devastating because I thought I did. I mean, I'd been to Rama, I'd been preaching since I was 14 years old. And I was what there, uh, I don't know, uh, what was I, 35, 36 years old at that point in time? And then for the Lord to tell me I didn't love him? And so then I began a journey on how to love God. You know, for the first thing, of course, is finding out how much he loves us. John wrote in 1 John, he said, We have known and believed the love that God has for us. So discovering that is the most important thing in our lives, you see. I thought that my love for him was connected with my doings. You know, my, my church visitation and, and, you know, my studying and, and the amount of time that I prayed and see God, look what I've done. Or the things that I'd put up with in my life as a minister, as a pastor. Brother Paul knows about this. The people that, I mean, people that are your, your, you're supposed to be your sheep, they can really hurt you if you're hurtable. The thing is, the more we implant ourselves into Him, into God, we become undevourable. We become unoffendable. See, and and and, but I, I hadn't gotten to that point at that time, and so I threw it up to Him. You know what all I'd been through because of my commitment to the ministry. You know, when you're 14 and you go to high school the next day after you announce on Monday that you announced that you were called to preach. And the, the mean boys pounce on you and treat you bad. See? And so that went on and, and different things. So, so my love for God then has to be out of pure choice. I have, in spite of my challenges, in spite of things that happen to me, uh, in spite of the problems, the things that come against me, I have to still choose to love Him. 
And when we get into the fact that he is love, we'll, we'll develop that, that thought more. But, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't receive today because God loves you. You receive because of how much you love him. See? How much, how much are you committed to him? See? He, he, I mean, he's not withholding. It's just that you're not receiving. See? Love causes you to receive. Love is a receiver. See? So, not to have any ulterior motive, to love God with no strings attached. I know people personally that say, well, if God loved me, He wouldn't let me be going through this. And these people that's got the sovereignty of God all messed up will say, well, you know, things happen for a reason. You know, I find, I find that most times it happens because they're idiots. That's why things happen to people. Uh, so, Romans 8.28, I mean, that is, that's a huge one. People pull the 8.28 out, don't they? And they say, all things work together. I don't know why this has happened, but you know all things work together for them that love God and are called according to their purpose. I mean, they'll put it on a sticker. They'll put it on, you know, whatever. And they live by that. You know, no matter what happens, we're going to get into that. We're going to, talk, we're going to expose Calvinism for what it is. Calvinism has crept in to virtually every religion on the face of this earth. Can you believe that? I mean, the Pentecostals are into it. They're not into the once saved, always saved part, but they're into the other. God's in control. How many, how many preachers have you heard getting, you know, stand on their hind legs in a pulpit and pray, God's in control, brother. No, he's not. If he was in control, the world would know him. He's not in control. In this dispensation, Brother Paul agreed with this, I'm sure, he's given the control to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we grow to the point where we know who we are and we start executing that in, in that momentum on this earth, I'm telling you the enemy has to sit up and take notice because the church of the Lord, we have the same call that Jesus had while he was here. We have the same mission. We have the same responsibility that Jesus had. He left it with us. The Holy Spirit's the new administrator and the church is the arm. I mean, the church has got the, 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 the call, the mission. I mean, what happened to the Great Commission? Satan has got us caught up in making a living. And, you know, most people's goal is to raise their kids and go, let them go to college and get a good job. And they're satisfied. I'm not satisfied with that. I want my kids to grow up and love God and find out why God put them on this earth. Forgive me for yelling there a little bit. But you know, the reason all things work together for good to them that love God. Notice it did not say, for all things work together for good to those that God loves. For those that love God. Those that love God. Because you see, love that one of, you know, agape, the word agape was far before the New Testament. The Holy Spirit just picked it up and used it to describe one of the attributes of God. The God kind of, the, the kind of love that doesn't require a response. If I'm going to love you the God way, then you don't have to respond to me. Because my love is 
persistent. My love is constant if it's agape. And that's, so that's the way God love is. And we'll talk about that when we get over to that. But uh, All things work together for them that love God and are called according to purpose because of verses 26 and 27. Because we are praying in the Spirit. We and the Spirit of God living inside us and our, our human spirit praying out the mysteries of God, praying out our future, all those things are going to line up and it's going to come to pass the way God has intended it to. See, I've got a message I did. It's on my podcast if you want to search for it. It's called Praying Your Future. Praying out your future. And that's how it's done. We are not a victim of circumstance. We're a victim of ignorance, ignorance, because we've chosen to we've chosen to put everything ahead of God. You know, our, our family, our, our our spouse, our our jobs, uh, our church, everything we put ahead of Him. And so, for us to choose to love Him in the face of all of our challenges truly delights Him. He delights in that. Let me get a drink of water here. I say this is going to be three lessons. It's looking like it's going to be more, but oh well. Now, you know, you remember that the angels had choice, didn't they? Uh, in Jude and, and 2 Peter 2, 4, Jude verse 6, you know, intimate that, that they chose to leave their habitation. They did not retain. They chose. They listened to the lie. I wonder what kind of message Lucifer preached. I mean, it must have been, it must have been amazing. If you just follow me, look what you'll have. Have you ever heard of uh, Dejus Denacrin, Denacrin, Brother Paul? Have you Dejus Denacrin? Dejus Denacrin. He was an Indian minister uh, in India that ministered to millions of people every month. And he had several visitations uh, from Jesus. Jesus took him to heaven several times. On one of those occasions, he thought it was Jesus coming to him, looked just like him, everything. And suddenly he realized it was the enemy. And so he didn't even... The enemy didn't even say, well, you know. He just said, what has God really done for you? And he was trying to get to him, and that's, that's a long story. But, but, but these angels had choices. They could have chosen. You know, if God interrupts your choice, then he's no longer God. He's your manipulator. He cannot interrupt your choice process. Even though he's seeing you uh, make the wrong choice. He saw Adam. You know, God, God's all-knowing. He, he saw Adam make the wrong choice. And I want to, and, and you'll understand my, why I'm saying this a little later in this course, but I want to say to the people that God put somebody in the hospital to keep them from doing something bad so that they could win somebody to Jesus and that way well, I want to say, well, why didn't God do that to Adam before he walked over to that tree? Why didn't, before he got a hold of that fruit, why didn't he just strike lightning and, you know, chopped his hand off or something? You know, look what that would have saved. 
He can't do that. Now, how many's ever heard of Jethro Tull, a band group? Anybody ever heard of that? Back in the 70s, late 60s, Jethro Tull was a band, was a group. On one of their albums, it actually says this. In the beginning, God created man, and then man returned the favor. Because you see, that's what we've done with God. As a human race, what we've done is we've conformed God into our image. We want him to be like we want him to be. So choice, you know, is really what the tree of knowledge and evil, you know, why it existed about choice. Satan knew that choice was the centerpiece (coughs) of mankind. God honors our choices even when they're the wrong ones. In one sense of the word, I wish he wouldn't be that way. I wish he would make me make all the right choices. I mean, it gets to the point where when you're driving on 285, since I've left Oklahoma now, I'm back in the thick of it. It was wonderful out there. They call three or four cars a traffic jam out there. Our town only had 1,400 people. But on 285, here's, here's how choices go with me. Here I am driving, and they won't get out of the way, so I see, I'm going to change lanes, and then, then that lane stops. That was a bad choice. See, It gets down to that minute of a thing. So we need to realize that we can, be fo- we can follow the Holy Spirit. We can listen to our spirit and make right choices. So, so that's, you know, God honors those. And, and as I said a while ago, if he interfered with our choices, he would not be God anymore. He would be a manipulator. Now, an inaccurate understanding of God is, can be very, very devastating to our lives. An inaccurate understanding and a view what what is your view of god uh the fall of man began with the challenge of of the authenticity of god's word there's lots of people out there that don't believe this bible is god's word lots of people well that's just you know man wrote that that's just and and and, i mean you do you have nothing to combat that with that's why i believe the gifts of the spirit are so necessary so that we can we can get people's attention and say, look, this is real. This book is real. This is what it said it would do. Now we've done this. And why don't you believe God now? See, That's what those gifts are for. It's not just so that some man somewhere can be exalted because he's a healer. It's so that we can take the love of God, the Father, to the world. See, In fact, gifts of healings should be an entry uh, level. Thing. Gifts of healings should be entry for, for any Christian. So, uh, how you view or how you understand God is basically how you conduct your life. I've said it this way before, maybe this is better. You, you become just like the God that you believe in. If you, and if you'll talk to a Muslim, how many ever talked to one? If you'll talk to a Muslim, They'll tell you right off that their God is not love. That's offensive to their God. But our God is love. So if if their God is not love, then they conduct their lives the same way. 
they do the killing in the name of Allah and because that's, that's how he thinks he is. I've often wondered, why didn't they just let Allah do it? You know? So, there's two extremes about God. One is to recognize, to exaggerate our ability to understand God so he conforms to our way of thinking. Now, now I guess it's still true in Great Britain, you cannot preach from Romans chapter 1 anymore. Is that, is that still true? That's the latest thing I've heard, that they are forbidding preachers to preach from Romans 1 because of what it says about homosexuality. But if you'll read that with this, and this is how the Holy Spirit revealed it to me, what that chapter says is that the love of God gave them what they wanted. They kept on. They changed. Actually, it's the word exchanged. They, they exchanged the view, the right, correct view of God into a corrupt view like mankind. They exchanged that. They did, in other words, they traded it for what they thought was a better deal. And God said, okay, I, I, you know, I'm turning you over. Here you go. And so mankind reaped what they, what they uh, thought. That, that's verses 21 through 26 in Romans 1. So God's love gave them what they wanted, and then they had to experience the choice. Now let me tell you something. We live here in this, in this America, in the United States of America, and we're seeing the same things take place. They are intent. They are determined to get their way. They want to make it a normal part of life. That is just another, it's just a normal part of human beings. But I'm telling you, it's going to be the same way. They're going to get what they want. Yeah, they're going to get exactly what they want. Now, number two. The other extreme about God <coughs> is to exaggerate our inability to understand God. The other one is, oh yeah, we understand. He's this way, he's that way. You know, all roads lead to God. And then the other extreme is, you can't know Him. That's the other extreme. And, so, and, and that's where humanity is today in a lot of places. So let me ask you this, and I'm going to close with this. Let me see how many minutes I've gone. Not very long, 35. What's getting born again for? What is the new birth for? The new birth, we've, we, all, all of our lives pretty much we've been uh, kind of told that we get saved so we can go to heaven. But getting saved is not why, we, you know, going to heaven is not why we get saved. We get born again so that we can know the Father. That's why you become a child, and just like an infant, he gets to know his Father. See, And he, and he picks up characteristics. <clears throat> and the more that he gets to know his Father, the more characteristics he begins to walk out. See, I was raised uh, by a stepfather, and I'm so thankful. A wonderful man. But my stepfather, when he was 12 years old, hurt his hip, and they froze his joint... Uh, and, and so he walked kind of stick-legged, kind of, you know, all, all of my growing up. And so mom told me one time that I would imitate him as a little bitty boy. I went to live with him when I was 18 months old. And so virtually I'd only been walking about four or five months. And so I would walk the way he walked, see. 
And so that's the reason for the new birth. We've come into a family. You can't join this family. You have to be born into it. You can't assimilate into this family. You can't just hang around and become, you know, one of you're still a hired hand. <laughs> you have to be born into the family. And then when you're born into the family, you begin to know him. And see, this is why in 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, it says there that tongues is spoken to God. And, and, and those tongues, we are praying out mysteries. And those mysteries are little tiny bits of revelation that has to do with every step of our lives. As we pray them out, we begin walking in those. A mystery is that which being outside the range of natural, unassisted apprehension and can be made known to you only by the Holy Spirit, the divine illuminator. And so that's His job. Jesus came to, I call it, exegete the Father. Exegesis means to make clear the meaning. He came to show us the Father. And the Holy Spirit came to show us Jesus. And as we get Jesus, we begin to know the Father. And so God, an anthropomorphism, are characteristics that God has assigned to Himself to help us better understand how He operates. Now we all know about the, the seven redemptive names. You know, <coughs> excuse me. Jehovah Reah, the, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that sees and provides. I need to fix this, don't I, brother? I built this and I just noticed that. <laughs> Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals and restores our soul. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Thou art with me. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our canopy, or our covering, or our protector. But see, those are kind of anthropomorphic, but an anthropomorphism is like the word father. Now God is far more than a father, but that term he assigned to himself gets us to understand what does a father do. A father is a provider. A good father is. And God is a good father. Now, is there any, at any point in your life that he will stop being your provider? No. No point. I mean, I, I would provide for my kids no matter what. I will go hungry so that my kids will eat. Well, you know, God don't have to go hungry. He, he is provider. You know, we need to worship him as provider. We need to spend about an hour just, just talking about... Uh, you know, these names, these, these descriptive names of God. Just, just work. Father, I thank you that you are my shepherd. You lead me beside still waters. <clears throat> Father, I thank you that you, you provide for me no matter what. Let me, let me go ahead and step a little further in this. He will provide for you no matter what sin you're in. He is the provider. There's things that you're going to get to, and I'm telling you, uh, in the day in which we live, there, there's doctrines going around out there that, uh, that, that, that you know, take the emphasis on personal sin. But you know, the, the problem with that is 
The more sin you get into, the further away you'll want to be from Father. You can, you can actually get to the point where you say, yeah, you know, that, you know. So Father, the term, is an anthropomorphism. Now, Holy Spirit is not. Holy Spirit is not His name. He is the Holy Spirit. But, the, but it's not an anthro. We can't really get to know Him like we can get to know the Father and Jesus. See, it's, It wasn't meant that way. It wasn't meant for us to become, uh, you know, best friends with the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. He is our leader. He will. He he's right there every morning. I like Brother Benny Hinn wrote a book. Good morning, Holy. That's that's great. But you see, he wants us to point toward Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to be worshipped. He doesn't want to be prayed to. He wants us to talk to Jesus and the Father. See, that's his job. So Jesus came to make clear. And, and, and that God and understandable so that people may, may know Him. John 17 and 3, Jesus was praying that great prayer. John 17th chapter, I think, is the real Lord's prayer. He prayed that. And He said, Father, that they may know Thee. Amen. That they may know Thee. Uh, John 1, 18 and 14 and 9 uh, does the, basically the same thing. So, in, these, in, this, in this class, I wanted to establish... That, that the sovereignty of God is qualified by His love. The sovereignty of God is not Him going around arbitrarily doing stuff for you or to you without your consent and your cooperation. That's not sovereignty. Sovereignty is not taking little babies I know, I know of a preacher, I don't know him personally, but I, I've heard him testify that uh, he wouldn't answer his call to the ministry until God killed all of his family, his kids, his wife. And he said, well, you know, I'm ready now. Because he was putting his family before God. But you know, now when we get over into this course talking about Calvinism and Gnosticism, you'll know why people come up with those stupid things. My father's not going to kill anybody. My father's not going to kill me and my babies. My father's not going to do anything that's going to hinder me. Amen? Praise God. Well, that ends it for today. <laughs> and Barbara just walked in. The sovereignty of God. And uh, the, thing, the thing is that we'll do a little bit of passion review, but the, the thing that we have to, are you having trouble with that? Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We'll do a little bit of fast review here. Uh, the nine attributes, of course, that we're dealing with is sovereignty, judgment, righteousness, immutability, love, eternal life, omnipotence, omnipresence, and omniscience. And so... The thing that we have to realize is that each one of those characteristics, God is sovereignly those things. But we've, we've had such a twisted view of what sovereignty really is. Uh, for example, I'm sure you've watched movies before where that they've had a, you know, a hospital scene and the doctor makes a, a decision, a life 
decision about somebody and they say, what are you trying to play God? Well, that's, that shows the distortion that people ha have of what, what sovereignty really is. Uh, God basically is, you know, he, he, is, he is love. He is all of these things. He is not a manipulator. And uh, Jesus said at one point, I think it's in John chapter 10, about verse 34 maybe. But he said, have I not said in my word that in your, in your word, in your law, ye are gods. Ye are gods. And of course, that's little g. And of course, that kind of a phrase means that that person is in charge of their destiny. And it cost heaven dearly for God to create angels as well as human beings and give them uh, the choice to make their own destiny. That cost heaven dearly. Now look, it cost him the Son of God. Because of the decisions we made. And God, every creature that God has made has a free will. And so when God gave mankind the ability to choose our own destiny, then he basically has turned the responsibility over to us. See, Which goes hand in hand with the mission of the church. You see, when the resurrection happened, everything changed. God no longer related to mankind as he did in the Old Testament. God had to relate to human beings in the Old Testament uh, as people that were not connected to him. Unregenerate man. He could not uh, live in them. He could not do what, you know, the, the same things with us uh, as, or with them as he does with us. And so, and that's a whole other study there, but we have to realize that, God, that things change drastically after resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead, and 50 days later, the baptism of the Holy Spirit arrived, the Holy Spirit came on the scene, the church was born, and people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus turned it over to them and said, now the church, my body, is in charge of the church. Now, let me put it this way. My body is in control of everything that happens on this planet. Now, somewhere down the line, since that statement, uh, we've missed it. Uh, the Great Commission, had it been carried out, this thing would already be done. But I'm sure you can agree with me that we are living in the last days. Can you agree with me about that? And in fact, it's more than just the last days. I'm 66, and, and, and back when I was old enough to even hear that, I've been hearing that. But 66 years is nothing compared to the, you know, the thousands of years that uh, mankind has to deal with. But we are actually living in the last of the last days. And so Satan, I feel that he is frantically trying to get his act together so that he can thwart the, the soon return of Jesus. And the same tactics that he used with the angels, a third of the angels, he preached some kind of a message to them and convinced him that his way was better than God's way. And they believed him. I mean, it must have been awesome, you know, to talk to creatures like angels that have been around the very presence of God all of their existence. And then to say, look, this is it. 
And so he used that against Adam as well. You see, I believe that Satan wants really to be worshipped. He wants worship. In fact, didn't he tell Jesus that? If you will bow down and worship me, all of this will I give you. See, And so he's not changed. That's why I think that Jesus used the little anecdote when he told the disciples. He said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. As I said, I think last week I brought that little point up that a serpent, if you'll watch, if you'll study up on that, they never give up on their prey. Did you know that there is a snake? I watched this on a National Geographic one time years ago. There is a snake. I don't remember what kind it was, but it had a big pink looking mouth. And he would hold that mouth open and a little bird would land down there. And apparently there was something in that snake's anatomy inside the mouth that made the bird curious and wanted to peck at it. And as soon as it got over there, it got the bird. So, I mean, think about that. A snake is nothing but a stick with a mouth. A tail with a mouth. And, and look what it can do. And so we can either take that line of thought and be wise. Yes, sir, you are. God is a strategist. And he is always strategizing on how to get people into his kingdom. And all we have to do is agree with that and learn to walk in his way and by his spirit and we will be fishers of men. Uh, and, and it won't be like when I go fishing. We'll catch something. Amen? If we'll listen to the Holy Spirit. He, he will show us everything. So uh, enough of that. Let's get on in, into the next lesson here. I've got about three pages to do, which is what I had last week. Uh, and if you haven't heard this, get on the podcast and you can, you can uh, go on that. But now, now the first thing I want to say to you is that sovereignty is not God actively doing things for us or to us without our consent and cooperation. Now think about that. See, this flies in the face of a lot of theology about God. because there, And we'll get into this maybe third or fourth lesson on the, on the, uh, the Calvinism and, and all those, you know, the people that say that everything is pre-planned. And it's going to be just exactly the way God wanted. Everything that has happened, God planned it. We're going to get into that a little bit because that, that being stuck into the foundation of the church has really thwarted a lot of people's progress in his kingdom. I mean, if you think that you're already predetermined to be saved or not, then why preach? You know. So anyway, so, so sovereignty... It's not an idea that God is just going to do whatever he's going to do without our cooperation. In fact, he told Abraham, he said, God, you know, let, let's commune together. Let's reason together. You know. So, a lot of times people say, well, you know, it was God just took that little baby. Sovereignty is not God taking babies' lives. Sovereignty is not God taking a daddy away from their, their family. You know, but you see, and I, I understand, I've done enough funerals to understand why people rationalize and come, they have to come up with some kind of a reason, some kind of an explanation. Well, you know, we just have to believe that God knows what's best. And you know, people accept that, but it never heals the hurt. See, 
It's amazing to me how people want to shirk responsibility. You know, I believe, uh, brother, that every single one of us on that day is going to stand before God and he's going to say, Nelson, what did you do with my love while you were on the earth? And many of us is going to say, well, you know, I had to make a living. I had to do this and I had to do that. But that somehow is not going to muster. It's not going to be sufficient at that day because we're going to look and see. I believe it will be revealed to us what God had put us for here. Our, our individual uh, gifts and callings. You know, the thing about when I was a Baptist preacher back when I was young and stupid, I'm not young anymore, but uh, and would preach that tongues was of the devil and you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. I actually preached that from a Baptist pulpit. And I got a lot of amens. But you know what? That'll never be forgiven of me. I'll never be forgiven of that. Because I blas you know, I'm not blasphemed, but I, I spoke against the Holy Spirit. And so I'll always, it, not that God's holding it against me for any reason, but it'll always be there, you see. And so I'm trying to make double time of making up for that. Because I believe in tongues, my Lord. We need to speak in tongues and pray that prayer language all the time, as much as we can. So, this concept of sovereignty is pervasive throughout the whole world. Now think about this. It's even in Islam. It's even in every religion on the face of the earth. Whatever God that they worship, or gods, there's 40 million of them if you're an Indian, but, but they say the same things that Christians say sometimes. Well, you know, God had a reason. Everything happens for a reason. You hear that in the movies a lot. It happens for a reason. I saw on Facebook one time a person put on there, the reason is probably you're stupid. <laughs> Some things that happen to us. you know. And, I, and I've certainly qualified for that at times. But it, it is responsible for the weakening and the destruction of people's lives and the church. This false uh, uh, explanation of sovereignty. And it, and it goes very, very deep. You'll hear it like you'll say, well, you know, God is in control. I've heard that in the Baptist church. I've heard that in the ultra-Pentecostal church. Well, you know, God is in control. The COVID comes out, well, you know, God is in control. Katrina happened, well, you know, God is in control. Well, listen, if he's in control, he's got it in a mess. See, God is not in control. He's put us in, in charge, I should say, rather than control. In charge, the church, the body of Christ. We can control things if we'll build our faith to the point where we can trust his word. A, a friend of mine, uh, Jan Butler, pastors in Tacoma, Washington. He's a mentor of mine. He went to Ramah same as I did, but he's uh, about 10 years older than me. But wonderful man of God. He actually, there was a storm coming off the Pacific. And, and the weathermen were saying this is the worst one that's ever been. It's going to wreak havoc. It's going to destroy and he got in prayer and God said, I want you to go out there and speak to that storm. And he spoke one night. He said, the winds calmed, everything changed. And the next day, the weathermen were scratching their heads saying, we don't know what happened. It just all of a sudden made a turn and went north and, and missed us completely. See, We can do that. See, we actually can do that. 
you know, you're not just going to flippantly do things like that. You know, we need, you know there's nothing going to take the place of intimacy with God. No amount of confession, no amount of Bible reading. Uh, intimacy with God is what produces that. Why does that produce that? Because humility is the doorway to your spirit. And through that humility, the, the presence of God reigns. And whatever we do, wherever we go, he, he is capable of using us. Now, much of the epistles in the New Testament are dealing with seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, did, did I mention last week that there is a difference between those two? Uh, can, can anybody, did I mention that, Teru, last week? Uh, uh, huh? A, a seducing spirit takes the word of God and changes it and twists it. A doctrine of devils doesn't even use the word of God. In fact, a lot of those create their own Bibles, create their own things. So there, there's a difference in that. But much of the epistles and the men of God there, the apostles, they dealt with those kind of entities because they were trying to encroach on the, on the foundation of the newly formed church. And they, this, is, this is all the big story about Ananias and Sapphira. Because greed was trying to get in on the foundation of the church. Right. See? And God had to put a stop to that through the Apostle Peter. And, and, and you know, in, in, uh, the, uh, the thing about the guy wanting his father's wife over in the fifth chapter of Acts. You know, well, over in 2 uh, Corinthians, I think, anyway, uh, he repented of that. But God had to bring that, you know, use his, his apostles to bring that form of judgment instantaneous judgment see now the judgment of God is always a blessing we're going to get into that on the next thing the next thing we're going to deal with is is judgment because you know anytime you hear the word judgment you think oh no but judgments of God are wonderful they're they're blessings see I I I, I, I welcome and enjoy God's judgment because it's full of mercy and tender loving kindness and it's if nothing else it's for my correction so it's not something he's trying, you know, Jesus judged sin, or God judged sin, rather, on the cross, in the body of Jesus. So it's not a matter of him, me paying for my sins. It's a matter of my correction and instruction in righteousness, you see. So I welcome the, the judgment of God. But uh, much of the epistles, as I said, we're dealing with it. Now, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, we'll just deal with this just a little bit. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in latter times some, not everybody, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, I don't have time to get in to break this down into the Greek word study, but you can take your own time and do that. But if you look at that, you'll find out that, that people that are departing from the faith, this word that they've used here is not something that they just automatically turned around and left Jesus and left. It's they were gradually drawn away from the truth of the, of the gospel, of the word of God. Gradually lured away. And that's the way it happened. You know, a lot of people don't backslide overnight. It takes a while. See, the first thing that comes is, 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 is lethargy, which, you know, just comes like, you know, I'm just tired. I just want to stay home. I just don't want to pray. I, you know, and, and, and then that back to back can lead us to make those kinds of decisions. So it says that some shall depart. It's aphistemi. That's the Greek word. 
And that means to withdraw, to fall away, but, but it's on a gradual basis. And we are watching that happen now. Now, it's my personal opinion. I did a lot of teaching up in Oklahoma about the end time position of the church. And it's my personal opinion. Uh, it's my personal belief that the great falling away is talking about the catching away. Not the big backsliding that a lot of the preachers preach on. And say, well, I don't agree. Well, that's fine. Whether you agree or not, it doesn't really matter. And we'll get into the, what, what a belief is here in a bit. But uh, that great falling away, they changed the word uh, uh, to apostasy from the word departay. And departay, which means departing. So there's going to become a great departing, and that's talking about the catching away of the church. So this is not what Timothy is referring to. It said some shall fall away. Some are going to be drawn away. See, And, and why, why uh, let me say, how can the enemy bring that to pass? How can he do that? I mean, I, I know of a person here that I just heard of recently that, in fact, used to come here, I think. For a while. But uh, I mean he was on fire. He was just turned on. And I mean it was wonderful. But I understand he's backslid. And, and out in drinking and doing partying and all that again. And my first inclination when I hear that about a man of God. Is how can you leave such love? How can you walk away from such love? That's the same question I have about the angels that, that fell. How could you leave such love, see. But that's how the enemy works. He knows all of our buttons. He knows exactly where we are, see, in our belief system. He knows exactly what he can say. And like I, you know, this was a big revelation to me. It might not have been any big thing, but, and I mentioned it last week because it made such an impact in how I felt about Adam and Eve, is that when, when the Holy Spirit asked me, he said, did you never realize that that uh, Satan never spoke to, uh, he said the serpent never, no, he said the devil never spoke to Adam. He spoke to Eve. And I never had heard that. But see, that, that kind of lets me in on how he works. He's very subtle. He's, he's very, uh, you know, uh, intimidating when it comes, because he'll use the person that you trust the most. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll, somebody that's speaking into your life, uh, normally he'll get to them, and then they can speak. Because you see, Adam had a word from God. I've had a word from God. Nobody can keep it from me. I mean, I'll always hold on to it, see. Adam had a word from God. But he, he got through, uh, through there with his wife. So it says here they're going to depart. They're going to slowly leave. And they're giving heed. They're giving heed to seducing spirits. That's taking Scripture that we've always used for certain things and saying, you know what? I don't really believe that's what that means and turning it just a little bit, see. Colossians 2.8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you. Spoil. Suagagil. It means to lead away. Now notice this. Lead away as booty. In other words, carrying you off, boy, you're a, you're a great prize. I know a man of God that was testifying recently about uh, some some preachers that had missed God and really backslid and turned away from God and 
And he and the, and the Holy Spirit spoke this to this man. He said, they became a trophy of the devil. A trophy. You know, he may not keep you out of heaven, but he can spoil your witness. See. Back in 1996, he used used that tactic against me. And I spoiled my witness. I hurt a lot of people that knew me because I didn't maintain my integrity. And gave in to some spirits, you know, sexual spirits and stuff. And so, you know, that, that's, he said to beware. You know, there's a lot of times in the Bible it says beware. I like that word because it, it really means beware because the evil is very real. The danger is very real. Very real. He said take heed that people, uh, and beware that people don't spoil you, seduce you, carry off as a captive. After, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Proverbs 23.7, if you'll, if you'll remember, this is the famous scripture where it talks about uh, don't, eat his, don't eat the evil man's dainty meats and all that stuff because he's out to get you. And, and then in verse 7 there, uh, it says, uh, don't eat of it because as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the word thinketh there, means to split, tell the difference, divide out. And, and it indicates here that we are our own gatekeeper. If we don't keep it out, it's going to come in. We have to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goeth about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so I want to become undevourable. And the way that I do that is casting all the care that may lead me away and spoil me. Cast all of it on God and commit my way to Him and I'll become undevourable. See, That's how that works. So, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. To act is a, the definition is to act as a gatekeeper, keeper, to reason out, to calculate. I don't know if you're a, a thinker, but I, I can't keep. I'll ask Teru sometimes. What are you thinking? Nothing. I mean, I, can, I I think too much. I have a daughter like that too. I think too much. I've always got something on my mind, but. I need to realize that that Satan is wanting to take me captive. He's wanting to stick or put or shove some kind of different concept in me. If you'll notice, as soon as you get a word from God, there'll be another word come and lay right down beside it. See, this is what happens. See, Eve did not have that direct uh, instruction from God. Where'd she get her instruction from? Adam. Adam told her. And so as soon as she heard that, something else came. Now, we, you know, we'll, we'll estimate that, we'll, we'll calculate, we'll figure. Isaiah 61.3 
He says, to appoint them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they, now notice this, that they may be called, what? Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Now what you believe about God has the greatest potential or bless of blessing or harm than anything you can imagine. What you believe about God. And Satan knows this. Satan knows if he can get up and mess up your view of God, then he knows he's got you. And that's why the Son of God was manifested. To destroy, and I like the word destroy there, it's apoluo. It's just like these shoes. These, Tim, Tim Gaines gave me these shoes. And it's just like these shoes. And I've got them tied. I know how to tie shoes a lot of different ways. And I play with it sometimes. But apoluo means to untie. In other words, Satan may have you sewed up, but Jesus was manifested that he may untie all the things that you're sewed up with. Amen? That's why he was manifested to undo that and reveal the Father to us. You say, well, what's the Holy Spirit for? The Holy Spirit came to reveal Jesus. And Jesus came to reveal the Father. So he knows, Satan knows if he can mess up our view of God and, and mess it up to the point where we can't receive or we can't make any headway in our life, he knows then that he can have victory in our lives. Because a, because a, a skewed point of view of God is devastating. Now, just think for a moment. How many people you think have a messed up view of God? It goes anywhere from saying, well, you know, he's just some old guy sitting up there with a long beard and just takes pleasure in messing people's lives up. So don't, don't cooperate with the devil. And so getting back to this point about called trees of righteousness. Uh, every tree is a manufacturing system. It produces something. Oak trees... Produce what? Acorns. Acorns then, when planted, makes another oak tree. We are a manufacturing system for God. We're, we're, we're a righteousness manufacturing system. A righteous manufacturing system. So, everyone then has a belief system. Now, if you don't like the fruit that is on your tree that you're experiencing in life, Put your roots in different ground. See? Now, as I said, everybody has a belief system. Your heart is the place where we process our thoughts and is the, fa is the facility of understanding. That, that's, that's your heart. In fact, John, over in 1 John 3.18, I think, says, if your heart condemn you, God is greater than your heart. See, if we have a wrong belief system, we can walk around in condemnation. But if we have a right belief system about God and we mess up, guess what happens? You end up running to God instead of hiding away, running away. See? That's the view that we need to have of our personal failures is, that's all right, I'll run to Father. He makes it all right. He, he forgives me. He releases that out of me. If I just confess it before Him, you see.
So what we believe about God is formed by what we've heard and allowed in our heart, just as a gatekeeper. Whatever we've allowed in. Now people fight wars uh, about what they believe. I don't have to, to respect what you believe. I have to respect you and love you. You may believe that eating twigs off of trees is the way to get close to God. I don't have to respect that. Thank God. I mean, there's people that believe some of the stupidest stuff. It's, it's amazing. It's what's been in, influencing their heart. It's what they've been exposed to. It's what they've heard. That's why I asked the question last week. How do you receive? You say, well, by faith. Yeah, we do. But the mechanism is our hearing. Our hearing. Keep on hearing the Word of God. Keep on hearing it. I don't care if you don't understand it. You see, confession is the mechanism that establishes God's Word in our hearts. It's not confessing to make it happen. I believe I have 10 million oil wells. Thank God. No, no. It's what I've allowed in my heart. The processes that takes place on how I negotiate life. So it's what we've allowed in our heart. We are the gatekeeper. Now, our heart produces fruit. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. You say, what's this got to do with, with sovereignty? We're trying to unravel a lot of the stuff people have said about God and place the responsibility back where it belongs is in, in our hearts. See? So it produces fruit. You know, a good tree brings forth what kind of fruit? Bad tree brings forth bad fruit. Isaiah 61, 3 and 2. To appoint them that mourn in design, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that, I like to put the word S-O there, he might be glorified. So us bearing good fruit. And I just quoted uh, six, uh, Luke 6.43, a good tree brings forth uh, good fruit. Now let's look for a moment at Mark chapter 4. The Holy Spirit, a couple of years ago, gave me a brand new revelation. And I'm telling you, that my first message that I preached, I was 15 years old in Underwood Grove Missionary Baptist Church in East Tennessee. And I preached this message. I preached Mark 4. I preached, I preached it wrong, I found out later, but still. So I've been preaching and teaching about this for, what, 50 years? Looking at ranging over it, trying to understand. One of the one of the biggest things the Holy Spirit ever said to me about that passage was just a few years ago. He said, "Did you notice that I didn't tell you to try to make all the bad ground good ground?" That was a revelation because he never did. He never did. Now I'm going to step off here a little bit and say something that's premeditated, so don't get. Those of you listening online, whatever, don't get upset because there's a whole lot behind this statement, but it's something to chew on, something to meditate on. That, uh, I don't know if I should say that or not. We, I'll go ahead and throw this out, give you something to think about. We, as individuals, as, as creation of God, as a Christian, we now have two minds. 
You say, what do you mean? We're, are we schizophrenic? Yeah. <laughs> we have the mind of the flesh and we have the mind of the spirit. In Romans chapter 8, it says that. He said, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Another place it says that it cannot be subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So, so our natural mind is not what we're trying to get renewed. The natural mind are the other types of ground here in verses 15 through 19 in Mark 4. The other ground is the ground of the flesh. And we ought to look and see by now that over the years and just observe that people that are trying to produce good fruit from this bad ground, it just doesn't work. It's always producing thorns. Sometimes it won't grow because it's on hard rocks. So, you know, it's choked out. The production of the Word of God is choked because we're trying to do it in the flesh. But the mind of the Spirit. So let me go ahead and say this. In verse 20, the good ground is your spirit. And once the Word of God is implanted in your spirit, it takes deep root and produces 30, 60, and 100 fold on that. And I know that's against a lot of popular teaching right now. I personally don't care. Uh, this comes from praying in tongues a lot and revelation from the Holy Spirit. So the good ground is our spirit. So read those verses at some point this week if this bugs you. Uh, that, you know, and realize the ground of the flesh is non-productive for righteousness. It cannot produce righteousness. The good ground is your spirit and that's where we should operate from. Our spirit is now uh, in, in the process of the new birth, it literally, your spirit was circumcised from your flesh. In Genesis chapter 6, we see that man had become one with his flesh. But the new birth is the cutting away of that. And now your spirit's brand new. And you can learn to communicate with God through your spirit like Adam did before he sinned. See? Now we have direct access, direct communicate. It's the same. Your spirit in the new birth is the same quality of being as God Almighty is. There's, there's, no, there, there's no fault with it. See, So that's why we need to feed, the, feed on the Word of God all the time. And never, ever, ever forget that the Holy Spirit is the only person that can give us revelation. See, that's why tongues is so important because it's a revelation gift. Many times while I'm laying in the floor playing in the, praying in the playing, praying in the Holy Ghost, he, he breathes to me. He breathes revelation to me about things. See, I wish that I could pick the subject I want him to give to me, but it never works that way. He, he knows what growth process I'm in, and he lays it down line upon line, precept upon precept, so that I can build my house the way that I need to. So, beliefs, this is how a belief is formed. Let's see what time it is. A belief is formed by, uh, by experiencing and making generalizations about reality. Perceptions. That's the way beliefs are formed. Uh, when a belief, which is a, ver a verb, becomes a noun, it's turned into a noun, it becomes a fixed thing. And that's very, very dangerous. 
Because if that belief is not founded on the Word of God and that becomes fixed in your heart, that's how you're going to direct your life. That's how you're going to negotiate you know, what you believe about God determines how you approach Him, how you approach people, how you deal with issues in life. And so if that belief is not right, uh, it'll destroy your life. Jesus said it this way. What is darkness? What is darkness, you think? Look, go, go and read First, first John sometime. And notice how, notice how he says, if you, if you walk in darkness, you know, you're, you're a liar. If you say you're in fellowship with him and walk into what is darkness? It's sin. So, a lie, and you can see this on CNN a lot. <laughs> a lie told long enough will be believed as truth. And that's exactly what this nation is experiencing. People are believing lies. The Bible talks about believing a lie and being damned, condemned. And we have, we have I mean, our nation is being ran by idiots. Rick Renner just said, you know, he lives in Moscow. Rick Renner just said, he said, I'm really glad to be in a nation that, that knows what male and female is. And they don't have those issues over there like that. But in our nation, what's happening? I mean, it's, it's, it's because of people's beliefs. They're trying to rewrite history. They're trying to reformulate what words mean. They're trying to redefine our history in this nation so that it would be popular. So be careful that what you're believing is not a lie. See, There's lots of lies the enemy tells about, the de about God. Lots of lies. About Scripture. There's people, you know, like we'll, we'll get in one of these lessons. Hopefully we can get over there and, and talk about the, the uh, Gnostics and Gnosticism. And how that they just flat out told the apostles. We don't need the Holy Ghost. We don't need to speak in tongues. We can interpret the Bible ourselves. And they did. And they came up with a lot of bad, bad doctrine. Seducing spirits. So complex equivalencies, equivalencies uh, involve beliefs about those generalizations. That we make. And making two experiences equal. Do you understand what I'm trying? Making two. Like, like God allowed that. Because he knew that I would do that. And so that's why it took place. See that's, that's making those two things equal. And people believe that stuff. I mean I love. People in my family. My personal family. I, I love my mama. I loved my daddy. I love my brother and sisters, sister. But some of the things that they believe is just not according to the Word of God. Now let's just think about that for a second. Remember I told you about it's what we hear? If you sit there, or if you're online watching me, and you say, well, I just don't believe that. What you've done is you have, you have equaled what I'm saying with what you're saying, and you're choosing that side. Because what you believe is a product of what you've heard. So you're saying, that preacher way back then, or maybe mom and daddy didn't believe that. 
Well, how did that work out for them? You know, you just have to look, look at people's lives and how these, how these things play out. We can't afford to live our lives based on some kind of a human interpretation. The Bible says the Word of God is of no private interpretation. It's breathed by the Holy Spirit. Some of the things I've believed about the Word of God, I was shocked when the Holy Ghost got involved and told me what I, what I said was wrong. Because I really thought it was. I mean, after all, that's what I'd always heard. See there? What we hear. So, I may believe that certain things that happen to me mean something when they really don't. Like if I come into church and I shake hands with Brother uh, Nelson. I started to call you Nathan. <laughs> Brother Nelson and he won't make eye contact with me, right away my heart will register that and say, well, uh, he must have something against me. Right. <laughs> some See. people do. Well, some people do, yeah. But I'm just saying, uh, or, or if, uh, if Kay goes to apply for a job, right. and, and they say, well, you know, she could go away, there, away from there. Well, they just don't want to hire a woman. See? You know, we, we, we make those... We make those assumptions based on the beliefs we've had in our heart. A lot of it uh, uh, stems from our low self-worth. Uh, I've never seen this brother. You've known him longer than I have. I've never seen this brother in a down spirit. I mean, Nelson's fine every time you meet him. Glory to God. I mean, he fell off a building or something the other day, didn't you? And glory to God. I mean, having that right attitude. So there's something to say for positive thinking. So identity then. Does this make any sense? Identity is the belief that we use to define our own individuality. Well, I just don't believe that. And my first reply, I don't ever say it, but my first reply that comes to my head is, so... It doesn't change anything. Just because you don't believe it doesn't make it wrong or right, either one. We just don't agree. So we need to realize, you know, the Bible says that except two, walk to, two be agreed, they cannot walk together. So what we have is a dichotomy in our lives with these two minds. If we can get our spiritual mind and our natural mind lined up together, then we will have great success because we will have a prosperous journey. We're going to go and we're going to hear from God. See, before Adam sinned, his spirit and his soul communicated perfectly together. Actually, in the Hebrew, when it says, and God created, he became a living soul. Actually, the Hebrew ind indicates this. He became a speaking spirit. See, God created his, his body before he did his spirit. He breathed into him. No, God doesn't have, he doesn't depend on oxygen. He created oxygen. But he communicated that life to Adam. And so the beliefs that we use to determine our own individuality, and that makes us unique, that makes us special, that makes us good or bad. See, You know, the gangs out in L.A., they believe certain things about their gangs. See, and that makes them unique, that makes them bad. They think it's good, uh, but, it, but it's bad. So, Here's the thing that we preachers have to do. As we get people to develop new beliefs 
about who they are, their behavior automatically changes. Instead, you know, to support that new identity. Instead, what we've done has been lured away uh, because of the flesh and trying to make everybody dress the same, speak the same, look the same, you know, say the same mantra, whatever. We've, we've, we've tried to get people together and call that unity. But it's not unity. One thing that Jesse Jackson said, and that I can quote, he says, unity without purity is conformity. That sounds like something he'd say. But it's true. We can call it unity. We can get everybody at Grace Covenant to come and sit in this congregation and agree on the same thing, but do we really have agreement? Do we really have unity? See? So, as we develop those beliefs, and this is the passion of my heart, this is one of the reasons that I'm documenting these lessons is because of the mandate that God has given me to put together a syllabus or some kind of a testing procedure where that when someone comes in to the local church or even on the street to develop, because we're supposed to develop people, help people develop, no matter whether it's here or friendships, whatever. And we can, we can let them go through that booklet. If, they, if, they're, if they're weak on righteousness and who they are in Christ, you can say, here you go, brother, sister. Here's some, here's some information. Here's some tapes. Shore that part up in your life and you'll be good. Or if, they, if they've believed the wrong thing about money. Well, you know, I'll just believe God wants us poor. You know, He wants to keep us humble. Well, that's a lie. That, that's a lie. I mean, I realize that it's not God's will for every single preacher on the face of the earth to be rich. I mean, some people are sent to Zimbabwe and they live in a grass hut. But they're going to be prosperous in their sphere of prosperity. See? They don't have to have $10 million to do that. I mean, I, I want to get to the place where I can function and give God nearly everything. You know, He's my provider. So I want to give Him everything minus that. What, whatever it takes to, to pay my way, He's Father. He's going to provide. And I'll give the rest of it to the gospel somewhere and somehow. That, that's my goal. So, to try to change then without revelation about who you are is called works righteousness. And that never works. It always produces bondage, doesn't it, brother? It always produces, you know, a feeling of, well, you know, I've got to put on my face. I've got to, act, I've got to put on my good behaviors. I'm going to church today. I'm, I'm going to be around my fellow Christians. <laughs> So I gotta be nice, I gotta be good. So as I said a while ago, and we'll stop with this, belief determines how we make decisions, how we process life, right from our right from our heart. That's why the Lord wants our heart fixed, he wants it stabilized. It determines how we approach God, how we relate to people, how you feel about yourself. You say, well, we don't live by feelings. Yeah, you do. Everybody does. You know, that, that, that's one of the little uh, underhanded lies that's been in the church. We don't live by feelings, especially since the faith movement came out. Now, I love Brother Hagin, my God, one of the greatest. He, he influenced me, and my destiny changed when I started following that man. But he never did, uh, you know, attribute faith 
as to, you know, as to something like, uh, you know, that it's just, it's ridiculous. You know, I'm going to speak this and all. He never, he never suggested that. But beliefs, how we feel about ourselves, how we develop the rules for our life. You know, a lot of people need to realize what's more important for you, uh, your rules or your relationships. Because sometimes you need to forget those rules and just be all things to all people right where they are. No condemnation. The last thing people need is some religious zealot out there telling them they're sinners. They need to know the love of God. Amen? They need to understand that God loves them. And then that, that as I mentioned a while ago, 1 John 3, 18-21, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. So don't allow your, your, your rules that you formulate through your belief system, don't allow them to dictate. Uh, let me, let me say, say, tell you something about principles. You know, I, I believe in living a, a principle-based life. But principles are not meant to dictate how we live. They are simply guidelines and not meant to dominate and control us. Yeah, principles. I mean, some people's principles would not allow them to go into a bar and sit down by somebody and start telling them about Jesus. Because they would, they're afraid some church member would see them and tell the pastor. I know the pastor. When I pastored in Quincy, Florida, that was my, my first church. Uh, I, and I'd go to the, to the uh, ministerial meetings. and it was, it was comical to me to hear them talk. But one of them actually said that what they did was they borrowed a car that nobody could recognize. And they would go around and check on all their members every week to see what they were doing. I mean, how dumb is that? So, so these, you know, it's good to have principles, but don't let them, uh, don't let them control you. Don't let your rules get in the way of, of, of uh, relationships. Amen. Talk anything out of this? Yeah. I hope so. Bless your heart. We love you.